this is Christine Maxfield, and you're listening to When in Rome from Compass Magazine. Today I'm speaking with Matt Gross, but you might better know him as the Frugal Traveler, the New York Times' very first budget travel columnist. Matt broke the mold on all things backpacker style and street food related, and after traveling around the world for four years while writing his column, he now resides in New York with his lovely Taiwanese wife and two adorable children, and is the editor of BonAppetit.com. I caught up with Matt at Hosteling International in New York to speak about the glamorous, I say this in quotes, lifestyle of the travel writer, and about his new book that was just released this month called The Turk Who Loved Apples. You know, just briefly, I went around the world in 2011, and that was just one year. Okay, nothing like mm-hmm. what you have done. But last year was just fitting in again. I didn't know how to do yeah. it well, and I really love that you spoke to so many like levels of yo know, the traveler's it experience. It definitely takes time. I mean, about half of traveling is not traveling. Coming back yeah. home and figuring out what you're going to do with everything that happened and what you're going to do next, and looking forward. It's really yeah. it's complicated. It's yeah. uh, one of the points I make in the book is that travel is not this separate thing that you do. Once you start to travel enough, it's just it's integrated into your life. It's not. Yeah. Um, something that starts and stops with a plane trip. It's just a constant. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go somewhere for a while, maybe that doesn't really matter because you're going to go somewhere again and again and again. Well, it does change you. How, how do you feel like travel has changed you? Uh, I mean, it's definitely made me a more independent and self-reliant person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I, when I started traveling really young, I mean, with my parents as a little kid, but even from... Uh, when I was in my very early 20s and traveling on my own for the first time, I was just clueless and yeah. naive. <laughs> and I just, I didn't know how things worked. Uh, I just went out. When I was uh, fresh out of college, I moved to Vietnam in 1996. And it was just this process of being absolutely on my own. Yeah. Um, I wasn't floating around. I mean, I moved to Vietnam and tried to sort of establish a life for myself. And I, didn't speak the language and I didn't know anyone and I was fresh out of college so I didn't know how to do anything yeah. <laughs> either I was yeah. just totally unformed and over the course of that first year in Vietnam and then over subsequent travels on my own it was just figuring out what I was actually capable of yeah and what I was not capable of too uh-huh. was learning my strengths and my weaknesses yeah um those were the big things and now I mean I feel like I, I mean I it sounds ridiculous as it is, but like, I'm kind of comfortable going anywhere on my own. And That's not ridiculous, because that's exactly how <laughs> I feel. I mean, I really am not afraid of anywhere in the world. Maybe mm-hmm. that's, I, I don't know what that says, but I just, I feel like it's very self-empowering. Yeah, I think we're both ready for the zombie apocalypse. Totally. Like, when that happens... We're sad. Yeah, oh yeah, not... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to fear here. Everybody else is going to be on the line, you yeah. know, calling calling the government for help. Freaking out. But we're going to have our government frequent flyer points. <laughs> totally. We know the secret uh, secret lines to call. So let's talk about uh, after Vietnam. How did yeah. you get into travel writing then? Oh, man. Um, I, I moved to Vietnam when I was pretty young and uh, uh, when I was 22 and sort of got my start in journalism there, working as an editor at uh, the Vietnam News, the state-run mm-hmm. daily English language paper, and doing some stringing for Billboard magazine. But after a year in Vietnam, I came back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to grad school for a year, uh, moved to New York, and I started getting jobs in journalism, sort mm-hmm. of 
fun but low level kinds of editing gigs Mm -hmm. copy editing yeah primarily um some some fun news stuff but ultimately i was sort of correcting other people's words and stories yeah and i got bored after about six or seven years of doing that i just i had to do something for myself and my thought was i'm gonna go off to southeast asia again go back to Vietnam and Cambodia for a while, do some research on a a novel I'd been working on. So I quit my job uh, in November of 2004. I'd saved uh, about $5,000, and I just flew off to to Cambodia and Vietnam. But before I left, a friend of mine had started writing for the New York Times travel section. Okay. And he said, oh, you should get in touch with my editor. Maybe you can get some stories out of this trip. So I emailed the editor and I said, hey, I'm going off to Vietnam and Cambodia. Is there anything I can check out for you? Anything you're interested in? Not asking for an assignment, but, you know, I'm in the neighborhood. Right. Uh, I can see if there's a real story there or not. And the editor wrote back to me pretty quickly, like two days later, and said, no thanks. Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, don't worry about it. You know, have a great trip. We got someone in the region already. See ya. Have fun. (laughs) So fine, I was going to go and write my novel, and, and that was the point of the trip. But when I'd been out there for about six weeks, uh, I suddenly got another email from this editor saying, hey, we're looking for Vietnam and Cambodia stuff. What do you got? Hmm. And I pitched her three stories. And she said, okay, good, write them. And and I wrote them, and and they liked it. And they asked me to do more, and I did more. And it just suddenly became this thing that I was doing. Just going your way, huh? Yeah, I I mean, I got lucky. I was in the right place. And I mean, there's, there's all this stuff you do to prepare yourself. I mean, these are not stories that I could have pitched before I'd gone out there. Yeah. I'd spent those six weeks, you know, bouncing around, doing research, paying attention. And so I had a good idea of, of some st- things that were going on out there that hadn't been written about. Mm-hmm. And I had the right contacts in place. And yeah, but I mean, I got lucky. I got lucky and then I guess I performed well enough to keep getting lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's talk about the frugal traveler yes. because that's incredible. That's, uh, that was from 2006 to 2010? Yes, that's right, four years. Wow. Yeah. What was that like for you? Uh, it was exciting yeah. and scary. Yeah. Because it was a lot of responsibility. It's not just, hey, go wherever you want, do whatever you want, yeah. um, and then write about it. There's... Like everyone thinks it is, right? Yeah, it's everyone thinks that the traveler's <laughs> career is just like floating around and yeah. just having a great time. but. There's a lot of work involved. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing The Frugal Traveler, I probably wasn't prepared for it. Um, the first weeks were pretty rough in terms of the, the stories I was writing and the feedback I was getting from my editors and my ability to manage my time. Um, I'd How be, would you have even prepared for that, though, unless oh, just I don't kind know. of You just kind of had to it. make the mistakes. Yeah, I had exactly. To, uh, I mean, I began doing The Frugal Traveler with this three-month-long round-the-world trip Mm. where I was writing a story every week. Um, And I was sort of uh, probably too sure of my abilities and my speed. I figured I could travel and have fun seven days a week and be able to knock out a Mm. killer column on Monday morning with with no, you know, with no real revision needed. Yeah. But then pretty quickly, I mean, travel is exhausting and there's a lot of stuff going on and, you know, I couldn't keep up in terms of uh, quality. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized that I had to just change how I was approaching each week. Um, yeah. And instead of having a great time seven days a week, 
I would have to be traveling and and having that great time, having those right aboutable moments, five days a week, and then just holing up yeah. for two days at a stretch and working on the story and dealing with my editor and processing photos and that made it much more of a job. I mean, in a good way, because it made it it regularized it. Right. It made sure that I knew that this wasn't just fun, 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 but I had to really I had to organize myself or I was going to just flame out because <laughs> the first stories were not great. Yeah. Well, and you also got sick a lot. You're quite <laughs> an adventurous eater. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to eat. I li- uh, and and I like street food. Mm-hmm. And early on in my travels, I discovered that you can get sick. I don't know if people know this. What? But, like, sometimes you get sick while uh, you're traveling. On street food? Abroad? On street food and, like, on untreated that. water. I mean, who knew? Right. It's crazy. <laughs> they should... You should, like, have sections of guidebooks that tell you about that sort of thing. But I love that you stick up for <laughs> the fact that you will never change the fact. No, because the food is so great. Yeah. I mean, I I, I get, uh, I've had giardiasis more times <laughs> than I can count, and I know how to treat it. I mean, I know what drugs to take. I know how to take care of myself when it strikes. <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's worth it for the things that I've been able to eat. Yeah. For all of, like, the great street food. Uh, in Mexico and Vietnam and India wow. and everywhere else, it's yeah, it's absolutely worth it. Um, Otherwise, it's just a nice little diet occasionally, right? Quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's See? maybe my body reminding me again to be a little bit more humble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is what I like about travel: is that you do these things, you imagine that you're capable of all these things, and you are in fact far more capable mm-hmm. than you think you are. Yeah. But sometimes you get ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. You think you can write better and faster than you are able. You think your body can withstand microbes that it actually can't. <laughs> right. Um, you think that everyone will love you uh, and want to be your friend, and uh-huh. sometimes they're not. And it's that process of figuring out your limits, where they are and where they aren't, mm-hmm. that's just kind of fascinating. <laughs> so let's talk about your book that's brand new. Yes. I, I don't want to give too much away, so I'm going to let you, in your own words, sum it up. Okay, sure. Shoot. So The the Turk Who Loved Apples and yeah. Other Tales of Losing My Way Around the World. <laughs> uh, it's about crappy travel. Crappy uh, travel. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it's about getting lost, getting sick, being alone, being scared, being poor, being naive, being stupid. The realities The of realities travel. of travel. And it's not... It's not an advice book. It's not how you, my reader, can overcome these these problems, how they how you can deal with them. No, it's about how I did. Because if I tell you how to do it, then you won't learn how to do it for yourself. Yeah. This is how I became independent, how I became self-reliant, how I learned to deal with these things mm-hmm. or didn't learn to deal with these things because they they don't exactly go away. Yeah, and it's it's the opposite of a guidebook. But I guess that's why I loved it so much, because it wasn't glamorized. It was very truthful, (laughs) even to the point of... Being a downer? (laughs) No, but I want to know, because I'm I'm in the midst of writing my own travel memoir, and I don't know how you are so honest. I'm speaking in particular about maybe, you know, 
prostitution. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, you, why don't you describe that yeah, chapter? I don't want I'm, to. I'm actually very curious. Because <laughs> that was the chapter I used to sell the book, so I'm very really? curious. Yeah, I want to. You tell me. No tell way. me the story. I don't want to. <laughs> I, I just um I, I'm just really amazed how you were able to lay it out there some of these things even like acid burning and and just things mm-hmm. that uh, it's not talked about as much yeah well, and it should be because it's the reality of yes travel. absolutely I don't think of it as the prostitution chapter okay. I think of it as the reality chapter mm. uh, it does involve my friendships and encounters with a couple of different prostitutes uh, in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. in Cambodia, and uh, I guess primarily Cambodia. But it's also about meeting refugees in in France and meeting all kinds of sort of, what's the word, underprivileged people? No, I mean, people who have it rough. Underprivileged yeah. is not the right way to say it. Yeah. When you go to developing countries, you meet all kinds of people who are in really bad situations. Mm-hmm. People missing legs, orphans, street kids, beggars, prostitutes. And, you know, for those of us who come from wealthy Western countries, it's a shock. Yeah. And you often don't know how to react. Mm-hmm. It can be really, really tough. It can freak people out. You know, people will, I mean, I've met travelers who won't go to places because they just don't want to deal with. Oh, really? Yeah. But I think they're missing a lot then. Well, I think they are. I think the the tricky thing is that there's there's no one correct way yeah. to deal with that. Yeah. To deal with other people's poverty and desolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the chapter, that the, the fifth chapter of the book is really about how I have uh, dealt with different people in different situations over the years. Not always behaving perfectly. Because I don't think there is. Who does? There is what does no that one does. Mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's still it, it's frustrating. Yeah. I, I I wish I wish I it's it's the one chapter where I wish I could give some easy piece of advice to readers saying, you know, when you run into prostitutes or people you know clamoring for your money, this is yeah. what you should do. I mean, if there's anything, it's just treat people as human beings. Mm-hmm. Just respect. Yeah. Although it's not always easy. Mm. <laughs> there's yeah. plenty of times where you're just trying to, like, have your, you know, cup of Vietnamese iced coffee on some, you know, little plastic Leave stool in an alley. <laughs> and you just, just like, just I don't want to talk. <laughs> but, like, even that kind of, you know, losing your temper and, 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 getting pissed off and feeling hemmed in is normal. I remember when, when I was first living in Vietnam, I mean, one of the things you're not supposed to do is get angry. You lose face, you lose the argument. People were always worried about being ripped off and taken advantage of by Ciclo drivers, the, the, mm-hmm. the guys driving these three-wheeled pedicabs. Mm-hmm. And you always tried not to get angry at them, even if they went the wrong way and charged you too much money. But sometimes, like, you just yeah. would. You would blow up and you would lose it. And that's okay. Like. You do that, and you get that out of your system, and it sucks, and you lose face, and you make everyone unhappy, and then, then there's another day, and you behave better, and you deal with it better, and uh, it's character building. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For well, hopefully, <laughs> I'm sure some people some people go through that, and they come back home, and they're like, ah, all these cab drivers trying to rip me off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some people. I mean, who? Yeah. 
who definitely don't deal with those things well. They need to get back out there a little bit more then. Yeah, I, I like I like going to places that, that force me to confront those issues. It's one of the things I really like about Vietnam is that it's a very in-your-face kind of country. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know, Costa Rica is not. Right. Costa Rica is much more chill. No, everyone's going to kind of leave you alone. Yeah. I would rather go to Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like India for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly, you know. In your face. In your I face. I remember, you know, I sort of wish I'd put this in the book, but I remember I was fleeing from this terrible, terrible tiger resort that uh, that I had a bad time at. And I was trying to get from there to Agra, where the Taj Mahal is. Yeah. And it required taking a train and then a bus. And to get from the train station to the bus station, we had to take a tuk-tuk, the three-wheeled uh-huh. little motorbike taxis. And my friend and I came out of the train station and were like surrounded mm-hmm. by all of these tuk-tuk drivers saying, oh, we'll take you, take you, take you, take you. Yeah. And it's, it was a situation where, you know, for a second, I was just how please just like all of you go away yeah and then i had this uh brainstorm it's like ah okay we just need to take charge of the situation and it was marshalling them and saying all right which one of you is going to be the one to take us is it going to be you is it going to be you (laughs) which one who's the most handsome who's the youngest who's the smartest and it just made you know it 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 just flipped it around and it was a game all of a sudden that everyone was participating in and we wound up riding with this 16-year-old <laughs> kid and all of his friends were like hanging on the back and it was it was a triumph rather than a slog. I um, love and I was that. so uh, yeah, happy to get to the bus station and not hate the world. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a large part of loving the world is learning not to hate it. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about how you got the title of your book. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the Turk Who Loved Apples it refers to a Turkish apple farmer that I met in 2006 on my round-the-world frugal traveler trip. His name was Kamal Grugan, and he, yeah, he ran this apple orchard, which was part of the Woof Network, yeah. the Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. Which is how I went around the world, oh, actually. that's, that's awesome. why I was so oh, yeah. excited. It was Great. that and you know, Work Away and Help Exchange. So you three. are like a good farmer now, huh? I am a farmer. Can you build stone fences? No. Ah. I, I, corn hot. Uh, you know, no, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> corn cob huts or whatever they use. But so Woof is this great organization. The idea is you go and you work on an organic farm usually about four or five hours a day, mm-hmm. and you get free room and board. Yeah. It's like, that's Why incredible. Why do people do this? Because people don't want to work on farms. Yeah. They want to, you know, <laughs> sit in cafes in Paris. And right. I get that. I understand. But, I mean, it's, if you, especially if you want to spend, like, an extended amount of time in a, a place and see corners of it that you never otherwise would, Woof is, like, is a fantastic yeah. organization. So this Turkish apple orchard in uh, Anatolia was part of that network, and I showed up at Kamal Gurgun's door. I was his only volunteer. He spoke four words of English. Yes, no, okay, and wow. It was sort of, <laughs> Is that how he said it? Oh, wow. wow I, my, I really wish I could drop my voice down uh. an octave or two, and it was just, wow. <laughs> <laughs> he could, I, in truth, he could also say, my name is Kamal Gurgan. Oh. <laughs> and he was just the sweetest guy. We would oh. go out in the apple orchards, and he would try to show me what to do. He had all these young trees that needed their, their branches tied down. And he just kept showing me and showing me how to do it. I never understood. And I'd have to, <laughs> have to ask him, 
you know, is, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Yeah. And he'd correct it or nod or shrug his shoulders. And so I spent several days with him just working in the fields and cooking really simple one-pot dishes and picking up bread from the bakery. And I remember one time his neighbor came by on a tractor with uh, the neighbor and his, uh, like, 10-year-old daughter sitting on his lap. And they delivered this, like, three-kilo tub of fresh yogurt, which we went through in, like, three days. Nice. It was so good. <laughs> and it's just this, like, wonderful pastoral experience. But I couldn't communicate with him. Yeah. Um, we just kept trying and trying to just deal with the, the, the daily stuff of mm-hmm. running a farm. Until, like, one night, the second, I think the last night I was there, I pulled out my... Turkish English phrase book and he pulled out a Turkish English dictionary and we tried to like, get to the bottom of who he was mm-hmm. and he was you know a 50 something year old engineer who'd spent most of his career in mm-hmm. Istanbul but he'd always he'd, he'd just always loved apples he wanted his dream all his life had been to own an organic apple farm and sell the apples to this large baby food conglomerate a Turkish German <laughs> company called Milupa that was his dream uh, he had two grown daughters. He had a, uh, a wife who was either divorced or dead. I didn't really know how to ask him. Mm-hmm. And and through the course of this evening, he just sort of got to the bottom of who he was. And the next day, we uh, we went out for for this like long boozy lunch near the near the coast. A lot of grilled fish and rakia, which is this anise flavored Turkish liquor. Mm-hmm. And it was just this like wonderful day. It was like we were the oldest friends in the world. And isn't that amazing? Just, you know, four words spoken between you two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, wonderful friends in yeah, the end. It's yeah, incredible. It was, it, it's amazing. I mean, it, and it, it, it turned my experience of travel around. Hmm. That that was possible. I mean, I'd known that that was possible, but to experience that, to, yeah. to make a close friend in that way with someone who I never otherwise would have met from absolutely different worlds... Uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty exciting. And it's the kind of thing I keep looking for yeah. again and again. Yeah. Not always finding it, but even the failures are, Still are, are worthwhile. I love that. Thanks. Are you ready for your Traveler's 10 questions? Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. Let's do I'm t- actually not ready. You sent them to Good. me. I didn't read them. <laughs> I, I glanced Impromptu. at them. Impromptu. Yes, so it'll be very spontaneous answers. <laughs> uh, what travel book makes you want to pack your bags and hop on a plane? Oh, Blue Highways. I mean, it's not really on a plane, but it's such, it's just, it's a great wander. Mm-hmm. Anything like that where there's no pre-planned route. Yeah. Song lines by, by Bruce Chatwin. Ooh, that's a good one. It's just out. It's just going off. I love that. That yeah. is that is what makes me want to get out. Yeah. What destination do you consider a best-kept secret? Hmm, that's a good question. I want to say uh, Malta is pretty Ooh, great. Yeah. It's just a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, especially if you go to the secondary island of Gozo, hmm. really rustic and raw, beautiful beaches, great food, pretty relaxed. Hmm. Yeah, go to Malta. That's and so weird nice. history there. It's just such a strange place. Huh. I haven't been. I want huh? to. Oh, you know what I should also say is Taiwan. Go to Taiwan. <laughs> it's great. People are friendly. Food is great. Sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm required to say that. <laughs> yeah. What site should be seen at least once in a lifetime, and why? There's no one site. I, one of the things, another one of these things that you learn after like many years of travel is yeah. that there's things you like and there's things you don't, and those things don't always match up with ever, what everybody else likes and mm-hmm. what everybody else doesn't. Mm-hmm. I no, you know what? There's one thing. Oh, I'm totally wrong. <laughs> uh, the Milky Way. The Milky Way. Yeah, you need to get out, 
out of the cities. Yeah. You need to camp out in a nice, cold, clear place and look up at the stars and see the actual band of the Milky Way. Where? Where would you go? I mean, I, 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 loved, I loved camping in, uh, in the, the Beartooth Absorca wilderness on the Wyoming-Montana border. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it was wonderful. It was so exciting out mm-hmm. there. It was you know, up at about 10,000 feet in mm-hmm. the middle of the summer. Alpine lakes, yeah. mountain goats. It was exciting and wonderful. And at night you could just look up and you could see that band. It's, it's really incredible. My grandparents are in the southwest at uh, about 8,500 feet. Yeah. And that's as well. That where... clarity is just, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, and you can see that. You don't have to travel far. You just need to get somewhere away from the lights of the city. But it's worth seeing and remembering that that's out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, What and where was the most memorable meal you've had while traveling? Hmm. (laughs) There's a lot of those. a hard one for you. There's a lot of those. (laughs) One of the ones I like to talk about is, uh, it was about two and and a half years ago in Chengdu, the capital of China's Sichuan province. Uh, Sever Magazine sent me there to Mm -hmm. investigate the cuisine and how people cook and eat. And one day a friend took me to uh, a rabbit head restaurant. Spicy, tingly rabbit heads. Ooh, that sounds good. So you order, you tell the (laughs) waitress how many rabbit heads you want. Do you choose the rabbit before No, there's no rabbit. There's just heads. There's just the heads. Yeah, there's a cauldron of of red-black spicy liquid, and it's full of cooked heads of rabbits. Oh, my God. And you tell them how many you want. And they bring it to you on a little steel dish, and they give you plastic gloves to put on your hand because you have to eat it with your hands. Wow. Uh, you, you first break off the jaw, and then you crack open the head, and you scoop out the brain, and then you spend <laughs> the rest of the time plucking the bits of meat off the face and, and eating the tongue. And, and yeah, of course. It's so <laughs> savage. Yeah. And it was, I think, the spiciest thing I ate there, and it was so delicious. And it was also, I later learned, uh, chick food. It's dainty because you're plucking these little pieces of meat. Who knew? So this thing that just seems totally, absolutely <laughs> barbaric to a Western eye yeah. is you know, it's girly. <laughs> you know, you want, this is girly, a girly kind of thing to eat. Wow. <laughs> I, I'll take your word for that. It's really good. I would absolutely eat it again in a second. Huh. It's great. You should learn how to make it. I'm not sure I can get a steady supply of rabbit heads no. here. I mean, my local butcher definitely has rabbit, but I, I think it's head head off. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> crazy. <laughs> um, what was your most nerve-wracking experience on the road, and how do you think other travelers could avoid it? <laughs> I'm not sure this is the most nerve-wracking, but I, I was in Croatia in 2006, and I was taking a bus from the city of Zadar down to Dubrovnik. Mm-hmm. And the bus stopped in the town of Split for about a 20-minute break. Um, and it was lunchtime. And I, as I was getting off the bus, I asked the bus driver, you know, what time is the bus leaving? And I, I think at the time it was about 10 minutes to, 10 minutes to 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so he pointed at 10 minutes after 2. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I've got 20 minutes, no problem. So I got off and I, I got a really just awful, awful burek, which is the s- fried stuffed meat pastry that mm-hmm. you get all over the, the former Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. But whatever, I, I hung out, I sent some emails to my editor, 
had this terrible pastry and then you know as as 10 minutes past two approached i walked back to where the bus was and it was gone uh with all my stuff on it what and i realized <laughs> i wasn't pointing at 10 minutes past two he was pointing at two <sighs> it was the same thing i was thinking minute hands he was thinking hour hands yeah and i just like freaked out i mean i know where the bus was going so yeah. obviously my stuff is there and i just caught the next bus going down the coast and all the whole time I was on my cell phone, I'm trying to call ahead to the bus station, yeah. trying to call the bus lines. I left my suitcase on the bus. Please make sure somebody knows about it and it gets taken off in Dubrovnik and yeah. someone looks after it. And uh, it didn't help that the bus was going down the coastline on this like cliffside highway. So on one side, it's just this sheer drop into the Adriatic Sea. And... I was just just freaking out the whole time. I mean, not outwardly freaking out, but inwardly freaking out. Yeah. It was it was a nerve-wracking experience. Yeah. And I was just terrified the whole way down that I was about to just lose everything that I had. You know, and then I got there and at first no one had any idea where my suitcase was. Everyone shrugged their shoulders. No mm. one admitted to having spoken to me on the phone. Yeah. Uh, just some random guy said, hey, is that your suitcase? And there it was, just sort of like sitting on the platform waiting for me. Everything intact. Everything was okay. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, but that's usually, I mean, at least for me, that's usually how things work out. Yeah. A lot of worrying and no great loss. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's because I get lucky or what, but a lot of the, the tragedies aren't really so tragic. Mm-hmm. They're just, they just teach you to be psychologically tougher. Yeah. What passport stamp still eludes you? Oh, lots, lots and lots. But when I think about passport stamps, the one that I'd sort of really like to get is Iran. Partly because get Iran is, is so concerned about whether you have an Israeli stamp in your passport. Do you? Do you have one? I do, but my passport's expiring in a year. Oh, okay. So I, I didn't really care. I didn't think I'd be going to Iran anytime soon anyway. Now, but, this is what I'm wondering because uh, I was told before that you know they didn't ask to just stamp directly in the passport or a piece of paper. But for me, they did. Oh, okay. Did they, did, they ask they you? They asked me if I wanted it stamped on a piece of paper. And no. I said, no, get it get it in that passport. That's all right. No, they didn't ask. They, didn't they ask just you. stamped. And I didn't even think about it until later. I was like, yeah. oh, well, maybe I should ask them to stamp it somewhere else. Huh. But whatever. It didn't really, it didn't matter to me either way. Yeah. Because I knew I wasn't going to be going to Iran anytime soon. <laughs> this is, current years are perhaps not the best yeah. for American-Iranian tourism. Wait a moment. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully things will get better at some point. Yeah. Uh, what is your most cherished souvenir and why? Uh, there's no particular souvenir that I cherish, except for mes souvenirs, my memories. Your memories. That's really yeah. the the most important thing is mm-hmm. remembering what I've done and where I've been and who I've met and what's happened. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got some nice paintings that I picked up that I would be very disappointed to lose, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily mean as much to me. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 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 symbols. It's of tough. where I've been. Yeah. They help me. They literally are souvenirs. They re- help me remember what's happened, but they don't necessarily have value beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, what's the most interesting custom or tradition you discovered abroad, and did you bring it back home? Oh, my favorite thing. I don't do this as much as I'd like to. Is, um, you know, in Japan, if you're giving something to someone, and it's supposed to be a, a nice way of giving. You use two hands. Yeah. That can be really awkward. It's not very easy to always 
have both hands free to give something or to receive something. But they do something similar in Burma, where you can give and receive something with one hand, but with the other hand you'll either grab your wrist or grab your upper arm or sort of touch your arm. So I'm giving you something with my right hand, I will touch my right arm with my left hand. And if I'm holding something in my left hand, it's still sort of easy to do. It is sort of extends. It makes it easier to give and receive. So for uh, when I've been in Burma and I've come back, I've sort of unintentionally sort of continued doing that. Yeah. It's very nice. It makes things seem more formal, but not as formal as it is in Japan. As the two hands. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's I like that one. I yeah. like to do that more often. Huh. I like that. What's your biggest piece of advice for aspiring travelers? Feel free to make a lot of mistakes. Mm. Your first trips are not going to be perfect, mm. but they will teach you what you like to do and what you don't like to do and what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. And those will paying attention to those lessons will make future trips much easier and more enjoyable. Yeah. So you're not always forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do or can't do, mm-hmm. which is I think makes a lot of travelers very unhappy. Mhm. And what's the most profound lesson you've learned around the world? Uh, it's a cliche, but the kindness of strangers. Yeah. People want to help you. They don't know who you are. They don't know where you've come from. They don't know anything about you. But people will invite you into their homes, offer you drinks and pastries, give you a place to stay for the night, make you a part of their family temporarily mm-hmm. for no reason other than you have been brave or foolish enough to wander into their village. Mm-hmm. You don't want to necessarily rely on that. You don't want to be too presumptuous, but it's there and it will happen again and again and every time it will surprise you and make you realize how lucky you are to have left your home. Yeah. Well, best of luck on your book and like I said it really spoke to me. I know it'll speak to a lot of others. I hope so. so it will. <laughs> it's terrifying. I feel so vulnerable. It's really interesting that facing a world full of unknowns on the road doesn't worry Matt, but putting his truth out there in his new book does. So why don't you show the turkey-loved apples some love? You can find it on Amazon.com and in all major bookstores, and you can also follow Matt's adventures online at WorldMattWorld on Twitter and on his website, WorldMatt.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time, get out there and set the world on fire.